We're all together, all at once, treated as trash and treasure. Yeah, we serve a purpose, and it serves their purpose to keep us small. Because long before we ever started to shock or jive or toad and barge and haul. Anyway, it's all about the overseer's pleasure. And well, when the old precious time run out. I mean, every once in a while, you know, every once in a grimace, their faint smile belies a grin of evilness intent. I feel it's only rebellion. Yes, our only course is to refuse to get caught up. Though we've all been taught some sort of sick lies, and we act like we don't know that we've all been fed at similar troughs, fed on the vomited bones of our ancestors, and we've somehow managed to take this refuge in the crumbs and fashioned it into soul food. Yeah, baby. Government, religiously sanctioned, nasty little bits of history being swept under the carpet, swept under the rug. <laughs> and anytime anyone hears the word song, they just assume it's some sort of Asian thing and they blow it off with a shrug. But it's pivotal to our emancipation. The song is pivotal to abolition of this sweet and bitter trade, this game. But again, there were lies. Lies used duplicitly to keep us and to keep this great crime under wraps. But they act like it ain't no nothing. And in the nowadays, the game, oh my God, when will we ever learn? When will the things ever change? Because now they use words like gaslighting and bamboozle. But it's still sharing the same old things. They're just a little more bold face with that false face. <laughs> and the hate-filled lies that duplicitly come through their words and their deeds. I want you to know that every kind of skin shivers when it's left out in the cold. You hear me? And they've always offered us blankets blanket solutions, and some of those blankets had smallpox taint. Remember that? Our human story, <laughs> how it's similar and synonymous with the battles that have been fought by the people on the prairies. So I don't want to talk about who was conquered first or who was conscribed first. We were all conscribed to labor in this monstrously heinous game. And there were so many ships. Oh, nobody wants to talk about that. Or how many, many, many trips. Mm -mm -mm. Don't promise that you don't want to hear. Don't pressure with the things I need to say. You see, I want you to know the Zong was not the first and last. It was not the only time they dumped us over. Our bodies were dumped dead and alive because we mattered little. If it wasn't a farthing or a crown or a sixpence, we weren't worth much other than what they could get for us. And you gotta remember, ha, 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 we were valued so little because we had no souls. Remember that. So now, us little poor people, we now sing and we dance and we fashion poetry and plays and operas and canvases and on instruments we pour out this pain. 
for whose pleasure? We've turned it all around, and we're told, <laughs> it's the force of our deep knowing that you can read. We see it beneath each other's surface, and we are breathing still in ice, and we're breathing still under downpression. We have home, we make hearth, we made friendships. We are bonded by our shared humanity. And we'll nod at each other when we pass each other on the street. We still say, take care. We even say, take it easy. You know what we mean? It means take care of yourself and the others like you. No man is an island. And we don't play that tribal game. We ain't got time for that. We know that we must stamp down and chat down imperialism. We know we must chat down fascism. We know we must chat down capitalism. How do we do it? It's the poor little people getting together, caring for each other, lifting each other up, up, up. Because we know, even though we're on the outskirts, we are ever vigilant. We got our eyes on peel. We're looking for any other who looks and moves like us. Any other where we know you may think me mad. And even if I'm mad, at least I know I'm not alone. Little poor people holding each other up, up, up. Caring for each other, loving on each other. Oh, watch me hold you up, 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 up. Break the surface of that water. No more crying a river. 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 Yeah, no more crying a river. Ain't gonna. 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 No more crying. You're listening to CIUT 89.5 FM. This is Donna G. And the voice that you just heard is Sister Lois. The song is called A Song for Zong. And Sister is joining me now to, we're going to have a conversation about the arts, about her work. Um, it's Black History Month. Both of us are Black women. So we're going to be talking about that for the hour. And she's going to also share more of her work with us. Sister, as always, welcome to the show. Hey, how you doing, Donna? I'm what well, thank you. I'm glad to be alive. So a song for Zong. Can you tell us how that piece came about? <laughs> Well, it ends with us needing to break the surface of the ice of the untold stories. My big sister friend, M. Norbessie Phillips, for several years now in Toronto, after having put out her poem about that heinous act, always held some sort of memorial type celebration and this past 2021, November 29th, we, of course, with a pandemic, could not get together. And so the durational reading grew into uh, 
across the globe kind of durational reading. And she asked people to do two things, uh, prepare a piece to be played in their absence, as well as to prepare a piece that they would share with the group when we got together. So that previous piece was the one they played in my absence. And then I created a second piece that I shared live during my little portion. How did they come about? Well, because I've always attended. Um, I think of the eight or nine years that we've had them here, I might have only missed two. I've always had a love for this event and for the need for us to remember those that were slain in those ways and for us as African people to name them as we name ourselves and tell our stories and recognize the threads that are always going to connect us to those who've gone before. Mm -hmm. And for those listeners who are not aware of Zong, please Google it. Um, there's also Amnor Basie Phillips' seminal um, book-length poem called Zong. And this is about the jettisoning of African slaves. And they were jettisoned off a ship because they were more, worth more dead than alive. That's pretty well it, yeah. Yeah, because they were property and they wanted to claim the insurance. Yep. So this is a very famous case that happened in 1781. Norbezi has created her poem based on the words of the trial. So please look those up so that you're more informed about that very important incident and also aware of Norbezi's work. So, Sister, you've known Norbezi for years. I was blessed to um, move to Toronto at a time where a lot of artists that I'd only seen their names in books were just moving around doing community work, helping to build a community. And I was doing my own little projects and she happened to um, step into my drop-in choir one evening and say, I'm interested in what kind of music you guys do here. And I thought, I know this woman, but I just like, she's my elder and I let her you know, I told her, yeah, you're welcome to come in uh, because it was a drop-in choir. And then she came again another week and visited another time and then came back and told me she wants to officially join and was a member with us for quite some time. I did not know until later um, when she released the song, because the choir actually performed at her release party, that she really was trying her tongue that, um, yes, she was a writer and a poet, but she wasn't doing performance art. So taking part in uh, a completely vocal, vocalizing project was helping to loosen her up for the work she had coming ahead. And I just so admired that. I said, look at this woman, look how she prepared herself. Other people would go to the gym or this or that. No, but she joined a choir. And mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, this is really brilliant because it was exactly what she needed. <laughs> and um, and, it, and I, it was a good lesson to look around and learn that there are other ways to get what you need to get 
to help you step up in your game and and um, you don't have to go to school for everything you know that sometimes the information is just in the things that are going on around you and um, we became immediate for me um, I was the mentee whether she was aware she was the mentor or not just by me just being blown away by watching her and saying mm -hmm. wow what a brilliant woman look at how she's a approaching this life thing um, that someone else might have made a big thing about and say oh I have to go and take a class because I need to learn this and da 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 she knew what she needed she just came calmly in as a community member and shared and learned what she needed to learn and we talked about how many times that's how you have to grow as an artist before you even recognize that part of your artistry you don't know why it is you're attracted to this thing and you you want to go back and when you go back and after a while you realize it's informing and it's supporting and it's augmenting how I tell my story yeah my time around her I find has done the same for me fully augmented how I share my stories so why don't you share now, Lois, uh, the other piece that you wrote okay, um, for, for, for Zong? Yes. And I'm going to tell you straight up that on the day that I performed it, we did it with a piano and there was all these musical overtones. But I'm just not sitting up by a piano today. You guys are just going to get the lyrics of the piece. Why you can just about hear freedom in an old soul song. Yeah, it was the song, November 29, 1781. The wailing began several days before the massacre commenced. You see, they, we, us could feel something wasn't right by the behaviors of our, their captors. What they did not know was there were 13 of us, them, we, though scattered about, in this holding, we were holding those of us that had met previous, those of us who had made acquaintances on the long treacherous walk to these jailhouses along the Gold Coast. We, they had not spoken. How could they have spoken anything aloud? They us have had to make and made eye contact earlobe contact, head contact, nod, lift, tilt, or stiff-necked contact, nostriled, compact, or flared contact, shifting hip-rolled contact, knee-bend contact, shoulders drooped, hunched, or shrugged contact, heel-toe, sole, or quick slap, step, soft, slower, stumbling contact we had made spiritual support aware contacts. And it was in the very moans, in the very groans, <laughs> and that God awful humming. Oh, that weird, sad soul contact. That sound, oh, it carried so far. Quite an annoying sound. Why was it so familiar to Many of us, much of the sailors, and of course, <laughs> should have suited them well. It carried the tone of one of their favorite sailor songs. Yes, 
Their very own John Newton's amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like them. Rightly so. How did these critters, these bound, here like animals, this poor wretched chattel, how in the hell did they even know to make that sound? Every day the sailors wondered, not knowing the history of their own song, or what was the known history, although they'd laid claim to that song, but not to the sound. It was one of theirs, a captain on an Atlantic slave ship that had penned those words in 1728. You don't know the story of how he got in trouble off the coast of Ireland? and how he made a deal with his God that if he were to be brought home safely, he would quit. He would give up trading in what he knew was human flesh, though he preferred to call it or refer to it as cargo. It was easier that way. And as luck or fates would have it, you know, he did make it home safely. And he penned this was, was basically the rap song of his day that told of his exploits, but he didn't tell anyone that those notes, those tones were appropriated, that he had stolen from whomsoever worthlessness had been held in his hold, that those were the songs, those we are, the black tones of his caught, captured and enslaved darkies, those were the tones they made in the pen, in the hold. This is what was coming up from the hold, the sound of the hold. El Kebulans, please, we cried out. And those things, yes, he stole those notes. He made a false promise to his own God. But, you know, ultimately, that's how the system works. So. No surprise that in 1728, when he'd made his false promise, that it would take him until 1756 in truth, before he actually quit his role as a captor, in prisoner, and enslaver in the trading of human flesh. But by then, the song was quite popular among sailors. The Mariners, the Maritime Work Song, Amazing Grace, those religious guys later on, as how they launched all the rowing and the work songs into church. In fact, I'd pretty well say all the music that you have that you think is church music started out as somebody's work song. But that's another story. And this isn't their story. This is the tale of the hummers, the hummers of the tones. This is a recording of the groaners, an archival recitation of the moaners. Because I and I remember those painful tones. We remember in song, walking along that rough shackled by our necks and shoulders yoked to each other, unable to turn our heads, their heads unable to say yes. They could not even nod or say anything. Yes, no, only side to side was the only physical motion and the only movement safely allowed without hurting ourselves, themselves that they couldn't say no, nine, yet. Uh, who could say no or think nope or no 
it was yes, yes, yes to anything, yes to everything. This was the worst possible game of improv ever played. And it was no charade, it was for real. And it was our lives. And we were tired and traumatized. We us folks could only say yes. And that's why we kept on humming. Oftentimes the melanin redacted on that trip would say, but oh my goodness, these people, these darkies have a gift. They seem to be natural singers and natural actors. Well, oh God damn it, all the gods. Our survival depends and depended on this acting, on this humming, as if we didn't mind dying, and this humming, as if we didn't mind being raped, as we were humming, as if we didn't mind being captured, and this humming, as if we didn't mind being tortured, and this humming, as if we don't or didn't mind or mention watching, seeing, full panoramic view of our fellow sister, brother, sister, children suffering, you damn well have to act. It's called survival. You damn well have to sing. It's called survival. This act, this timely, artful dance. Yeah, that's us. I hear the same people saying now in 20 something, you people sure like to dance. Sure, we had no choice laying down these shackles tied to each other. We danced in our thoughts until we were able to get up and get enough air into our lungs so that we could lift the scattered, shattered, those of us that were left behind alive because we had been singing and humming while we were being thrown overboard. We had to keep dancing with our hums, with our moans, with our groans in lateral positions. We were tied and buckled head to toe. And in that position, we danced. And still today, you hear that oppressor entirely baffled, it seems remarked, that some of y'all do the best dancing, you people. Yeah, sure. Of course we do. We move in the dance. We walk in the dance. We have to float down the road, float down the sidewalk of life in the dance. You betcha. Because we came here shackled and dancing in our thoughts. I reckon we'll be dancing on the way out too. So that's probably why come we've got first line music at our funerals, second line music at the ceremony on the way out. And <laughs> we won't even mention the amount of music at the wakes. <laughs> uh, what about that first murderous slave-shaped wake? What do you think that was? That humming was the first pre-wake. That humming, that weirdness that scared them sailors, that there on the sound, that sound of that humming of that song that began ahead of the killing, that humming of that song that began ahead of the murder, before any splashes or any songs were made, before you could hear it outside of the hull of the ship, outside of the hold, first came the soundtrack. The soundtrack that accompanied the screams, the moans, the groans, yet 
so indelible on the song. So you all know the hum hymns, but you all know the heavy weight, the deeply troubling cry, the helpless cry of what was the Zong song. Yes, sister. Thank you so much for those words and for those recollections of uh, our ancestors, enslaved Africans thrown overboard because we were property. Mm. What did it take, sister, for you to write that song? The Zong song was painful to write. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know, a lot of the work I create, I'm creating because I have so much pain of my own, I need to distill and get out of me. So often when someone asks me to do something on a specific thing, I, I realize that it's all interconnected. And though I'm trying to be specific about um, the song at that time, I am a music teacher. I am someone who studied the history of these churchical songs. So I couldn't help but put some of that kind of factual information into my telling of the story to bring those things together for not just the listener, but for me to create a musical um, almost uh, trajectory and timeline of what was going on in the world musically at that time. That affects the song I'm creating in this time, you know, because the otherwise you go away thinking you're writing one story and the biggest problem we as, as, as um, people who have been raised have is that our stories are yada, 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 and made one dimension. And there are so many truths to every one story. And so we have to do our best to check all the dimensions, all the perspectives, all of those things, all the things that could be true for you when you try to tell it. At least I do. And so that's how I inform and, and I choose what to put down. Because there's lots of other stuff I could tell from someone else's perspective. But one thing I adored about Zong when I first read it was Sister Norbessi, by using the writ, could not speak for the enslaved alone. She was talking for the sailors. She was talking for others on the ship. She was speaking for the lawyers and the barristers and all the people who had um, been lined up uh, and been affected by... Um, this thing being exposed. This thing was pivotal to us having the changes that happened in the world around the abolition of the slave trade. And people um, oftentimes don't recognize that nothing's done in isolation. And so when I got a chance to speak to it as well, I decided, yeah, I can't just speak for the people in the hall. I, I, um, I'm talking about all that were there, even though it's not their story, they mm -hmm. were present. Again, for those who were just tuning in, we were discussing Zong, the Zong Massacre, uh, the work that was published by M. Norbezi Philip, for which she won the 2021 Art Molson Prize. And she well-deserved that $50,000 and more 
for her work. That is nothing for the kind of work and the years and the, the continued labor when people get $100,000 just by saying, I want to do something from the Grants Council. And <laughs> nobody asked them to prove their livication to the craft, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. yeah. And um, this is, as you know, as Sister just said, this is this is the least, you know, this is the you least know, they could do especially uh, when for, you her, know. for her body of work. But Lois, yeah. I just want to get in her website because, okay. um, you know, nothing you about her. You should her website. Yes. Yeah, nothing yes. about her without her. So please visit norbezi.com. N-O-U-R-B-E-S-E.com. Thank you, Lois, for uh, sharing your work Um about the Zong with us. Mm. Now, um, I've often heard you say, and we've had discussions over the years, Sister and I go back, way, way back. Uh, CIT is We're turning 30. Back <laughs> CIT is turning 35 this year. Um, I know we haven't been, we haven't known each other 35 years, but it's definitely. You were there in the early days of CIUT. I wasn't. I, I came in the mid 90s. But um, you, you've mentioned it um, before, maybe not in these exact words, but you're saying that uh, the traumatized child is often squeezed into doing creative work. Can you can you share ah. what you can you share what you mean what you mean by that for listeners who are <laughs> new to you? Okay, hang on. Let me. I have a piece that I had written about that. I write on everything continuously. I just write, mm -hmm. and I think I remember writing something about how we write because we're remembering the future. Pause because it's our duty. The doing, it comes in a response to a previous action. So now we're releasing with the voice, the thing that we couldn't have given reciprocity before because we didn't have it, we did not know it and did not recognize it before, even though we were living it. So now we create, we're creating what seems like the future, but we're really telling about the past to prepare ourselves and those to come in vitro, just like your mother fed you. We feed them with art. The art is the art of remembering. And in that art of humble surrendering is the remembering that no man is an island, that we came into this world with someone else breathing for us. So community and community artists are a necessity. We breathe for each other as we create for ourselves. You've been doing this for many years. And I've asked you before, what keeps you going? Because I know the struggles. I've seen, I know the struggles you've seen mm. and experienced. But here in 2022, you're still moving on, still pushing on. And mm -hmm. why haven't you stopped? Again, it's an ancestry that's calling. It's an ancestry that's leading that we kept living out of the crime scene and the wreckage of something at the Zong. We were brought onto this land that was a crime scene that we know still, they're still finding and collecting bodies. And we still had to make life in that wreckage. We have to um, find brilliance and beauty 
in the trash in this fragmented world that they've given us and said, here, breathe this toxic air. This is your life. Um, the art is what helps me make simplicity out of the complexity, how to make um, symphony out of the cacophony. Um, it's the thing that makes me see uh, mushrooms growing out of the dead tree, <laughs> that life is something that does not stop. And the human race might go through some changes and decide to bow out, but there's always going to be someone who wants guideposts. There's always going to be someone that says, how did they get here? How did we get here? I have grandchildren. They're always going to be wanting to know how this happened. And that's one of the main reasons I document in art is because we, one of the biggest challenges, again, as I said earlier, our lives are yada yada, and people think, oh, there's only, especially in Black History Month, oh, you know about MLK, oh, you know about Martin and, and, and X, and you know about Rosa, oh, so you know Black History then, uh, or in Canada, oh, you know about, about Mary Shad, oh, you know about the Freedom Newspaper, or of late, you know, oh, you, you know about Alexander, you know about so-and-so and I mean I'm really thrilled to see the bus with Salome's face but again it's just another quick yada yadaing of our lives and there's so many more of us who have done and have contributed and continue to live lives that um, are worthy of being heard and talked about and so to do this work is to always be bringing um exposure to those that have been obliterated or obscured mm -hmm. you know I think that's why I think it's a really heavy mantle when, to be given this kind of work um, especially when we're off not seen as the strongest of the strong but I think the heaviest mantles are sometimes carried by those that others perceive to be weaker because the foolish is to confound the wise and so we don't leave off we just keep trotting and carrying our heavy mantle and uh you know it, it the same thing turns into the the parachute and turns into the sleeping bag and turns into whatever you can imagine it to be this fabric this tapestry that is our life now i want to go back you mentioned uh salome bay Mm -hmm. And recently I posted on my Instagram, not Salome Bay, but Jody Drake. Mm, lovely and, woman. Yeah. Uh, my mom uh, often went to see her sing and, you know, she shared stories with my mom. And lo and behold, you knew Jody as well. Yeah, I was blessed to get to meet Miss Jody. Just that was as I was blessed to get to know Miss Miss Bay. Um, again, when you have a love and a passion for something, um, you don't think of it from the oh, this is going to be my career. You think of it of these people are really good at this. I want to be around them and listen to them and have them tell stories and share how they do what they do. And I was fortunate enough to that that woman was one of the people that came into my community when I first came to Toronto. And she had some heavy kind of talks 
around tables that you would share about the colorism and the shadeism and what it was taking to get to perform in certain places in Toronto back in the day. And um, I was blessed to get to be with her when at her late age, she got to debut at that lovely room at the Royal York Hotel. I was sitting up front chairing and making lots of noise because I knew how monumental that was for her to after all these years to get to do that. I mean, she didn't live much longer afterwards, but that's okay. She, these little steps, these little things that we take that may seem like nothing are big, big, big in the larger picture of a nation that's always been held back for one reason or the other, you know? And so Jody to me was always just a living example of just keep doing your work and keep being good. And when you get the chance in the room, blow the house down, girl. Because um, that's what Jody did. Yeah, I remember my mom saying, You know Jody Drake? And I said, No, I don't know about Jody Drake. This was back in the day. Yes. Um, and she said, Hmm, everybody should know Jody Drake. Exactly. Everybody should. And she had a lesson to share with us all. Yeah. And, um, you know, just the fact that, you know, here's a black woman moving from Detroit to Toronto mm -hmm. and, you know, sharing her craft and persevering through all, you know, that she had to experience. And played with just everybody that came up. Yes, exactly. Everybody right? that came through. Yeah, that came through. She sang with. Right. Just saying with everybody. But again, based on the little shallow isms of the nation, couldn't play in certain places, couldn't play in certain rooms. When the larger stars came and they got that gig, she'd be in the smaller room and the smaller club down the street, you know. So I think um, it's weird that, that you're always chasing something. There's always something that you're being deprived or held back from. But I'm glad that she got to fulfill that thing, that desire, before she was able to, you know, had to shake off this mortal coil. She fulfilled that. It's a very hopeful thing for any singer, for any performer, especially, as I said, at the time, I didn't know that that was going to be my life's trajectory. I just felt so fortunate to get a chance to meet her. If you're just tuning in, I'm talking to Sister Lois. And she is in the edutainment field. <laughs> I love that. She showing and... up is. She's the OG edutainer. Yeah, you've done so many things in Toronto over the years. And as we celebrate, you know, Black history, um, I've known you enough years that, you know, what you've been doing is history. So <laughs> what I, what I want to know now, uh, sister, is... I know you've been writing your own music and the last time we spoke, the last time we spoke, you hinted at um, putting a collection together, an album well, yes. of sorts. How's yes. that going? Um, better than I anticipated, harder than I knew it would be, more fulfilling than I ever imagined. And it's like, um, 
the best party, the best sex, the best food. You want to just keep going there all the time because you can't believe that this thing that you've been singing for years that you thought was old hat can come through new vessels and come out like new wine and just like heat your spirit all up again. I'm like, wow, my stuff's the friggin' bomb. <laughs> it's freaking me out because I'm seeing it through new eyes and hearing it through new ears and I've blown my own mind. And I was like, I've never seen myself as someone who's, you know, conceited or a show off or any of those things. I created what I thought was practical, useful, um, art that's going to help people grow but I'm getting this kind of wow beauty um gangbuster kind of experiences with the music right now that's making me feel like whoa so I didn't know what was going on at all this is like this is what it's supposed to be like my gosh <laughs> so tell me about the practicality of um you you have a producer um, well, that's what's the it, hardest what's it, part. What's it been like working with a producer? Because I know how independent you are. Well, it's very philosophical working with a producer. In what because sense? In that you always think you're so secure and you know exactly why you did what you do and why you've been doing it this way all this time. And then they come through and they take the words you've been singing all this time and say them back to you with a whole other accent, basically. Mm -hmm. And you say, holy shit, I didn't know that's what I was saying. Yeah, perception is everything. And so it's like, um, you realize, at least I realized that a lot of the things I was performing, I presume people got my backstory. And now they're saying, no, and your backstory is unimportant. You have to put the clarity in each tone, in each tune, in each verse and chorus and bridge and hook. And they have to speak for themselves as separate elements away from the fact that it has anything to do with you, sister. That is difficult. And yet it has everything to do with me. But when I say away from, there's no, you can't lay back on the fact that, oh, people know you're a storyteller. They'll know what you mean if you say it this way, or they know you're a Rasta woman. So if you use these words, they'll assume you mean that, or people know you're an OG edutainer. So if you use the words this way, they'll know that. No, there's nothing personal going on here. Um, I don't know who my audience will be. And up until now, everything for me was very audience um, motivated. And the philosophy was get this message to these people. Now it's get these messages to all the people. Mm -hmm. That's a very different philosophy. Definitely. I, I don't ever think I ever saw my art in that place before. Um, didn't even realize its worth and value until I started getting it coming back to me in this way. And I'm like, this is stuff I dance to on the radio. <laughs> and I'm like, oh shit, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, they're like, no, 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 don't get conceited, Lloyds. I've said, no, I have to. I have to have parades for my life. I've spent my whole life trying to not be conceited and to not act like I think I'm somebody because I've had people say that shit to me. Oh, you walk around acting like you think you're somebody. And that's always been the justification for nasty things that have been done and said, like, if I, I deserve the nastiness because I think I'm somebody. Now I'm like, shit, I know this stuff is so good and so worthy. And I have always been somebody whether, and now, now it explains to me why those insecurity um, things were thrown at me when I didn't know that who I was. You understand what I'm saying? I was yes, like, why I are you all threatening me like this? And now that I, I'm like, oh, well, no wonder you were threatened by me. Shoot, I never even seen that because I wasn't coming with that headspace. And you weren't hearing when I was telling you. You know what I mean? <laughs> I wasn't coming with that headspace. I was just like a community artist sharing a good story that's going to build up my community and build us up as individuals. And we can all like, grow and be stronger black people so that all the little isms in the world don't knock us down basically that's what I was writing about but it's larger than that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah we, yeah I've we never have to, like we're the people who have to love each other into ourselves I've never heard yourself acknowledge your talent before I've never been in a situation where the message that was coming back to me was wow, 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 all the time. I've always been, I'm fighting the group or the whatever to get to tell the story the way I want to. And now I'm not fighting. I'm easing into another way to reveal the same story. That for me um, puts a whole different bond uh, on not just the project and me and the producer, but a different bond between me and the love of the things that have come through me. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I was very, very kind of a separate conduit, you know, and the ancestors are using me to send the message and blah, blah, blah. And I think there was a safety in that position for a while. But now I recognize you can't stand outside uh, it's like holding an umbrella and then that's the shade the, 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 from all the worries and all the bull, but you're still out here getting wet. You have to realize you are the umbrella and bring it all together. So how did you find your producer? Well, you know, that's another crazy story. My producer, I would say, is probably one of the first people I ever met when I came to Toronto on a TTC uh, transportation back in 88. They were the person who uh, told me where to go find the first set of reggae music I was interested in. And I know they thought, they probably thought I was coming on to them because it was very hilarious. Um, uh, they nodded, I nodded back. Um, and then I got up from where I was and went to closer where they were. And they were seemed surprised. They said, oh, you're not from here. And I said, no. why would you say that? They said, because Black women in Toronto don't really do that kind of stuff. They might nod at you from a distance, but they don't leave where they are to come and sit by you. 
I said, but you wanted me and I don't know nobody else here. And I said, so what is that when you play the guitar or the bass? And they said, the bass. And I write a bass said, oh, I love the bass. And they looked at me really suspect. And then I asked them what kind of music. They said, well, I do a variety of things, but I'm going to go do some reggae music now. And I said, oh, I love reggae music. And right away they looked at me and I said, oh, wow. I must sound like, you know, how you pick up kids in the bus station by just lying to them about you love everything I know I must sound like I'm just a predator but I actually do love all of those things <laughs> and I feel it's fortuitous that we have bumped into each other and I don't think that anything happens by accident but we're meant to do something together one day and that was just the way I felt and that person went on with their life and I went on with my life and I didn't expect to run into them again but a couple years back another sister of mine was doing a project and I went to the project and lo and behold the bass player at the project was this brother and I was like oh look at that 30 years you're still around <laughs> told me we were oh. gonna work together one day and here we are did you ever say oh you know I'm I'm from Winnipeg it's like we say hi to other black people because there's so few of us well, I, he knows that story now. He didn't get <laughs> right? I told okay. him later about Sarah's children, about us, the way we connect and, and running down the street to find out who that family is and who are your people and where your people from and all that. And that's why he knew I wasn't from here. Yeah. Toronto, nobody does that kind of stuff. No one was doing that. I don't think still anybody's doing that. But Manitoba, there were so few of us that um, you want to right away, like, yeah, who are your people? And where do we <laughs> find more that look like you and me? You know? oh, exactly that was a thing once Toronto has really been a harsh lesson for me you know I think my son and I talk about those things still that wow if we were better actors and willing to like play some of the games that were going on who knows what life might have offered us but we were so ordinary and we were so used to in the Winnipeg scene um whatever that was going on community-minded you just offered your best and came and did it you didn't think about it as oh it's a career move you know oh it's martin luther king day yeah sure i'll come oh it's marcus garvey gay sure sure i'll come oh it's a cantata for your your easter service sure 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 we'll come and so you just go and help and sing to build up and boots up community things yeah um it's not until much years later being here that i realized oh this is some real competitive stuff and oh man for these people this is their career they're having some hate for you that you're coming in treating it like a casual hobby and as someone said to me and you were good that pissed us off I was like <laughs> what oh I was like well what what should I not have been good and they were like, no, you don't get it, sister. But now years later, I realized, oh, yeah, if it's your living and someone comes in and is just giving it away, you could be pissed off at them people it heaps. Yeah. 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 And, and that, you know, that fragmented my relationship with a lot of performers in Toronto for when I first came because I didn't know that that's what this thing was about. Mm -hmm. I was still just being Sarah's children helping because I could now explain Sarah's children for people who have no oh, idea. Oh, yeah. Well, there is this um, Sarah's children is how people of color referred to themselves on the prairie. 
And so if you see any other with any of the, the, the spectrum of colors and shades that Sarah's children came in, you knew that um, you made an effort to make comfort and, and connection with them. And I use comfort before connection because connection came after the comfort of having even just sighted them down the street. There was comfort in knowing you weren't alone on that street. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, and the Sarah's children also carries over in that we were all one family of people doing that journey, finding out about ourselves and what it was like to be on the prairie. I often say to people, there must have been in Guyana and in Jamaica and all over the Caribbean, people in um, the immigration offices lying to people, telling them, oh, you guys will love it out there. That's just, that'll just like home. <laughs> because there were so many of us who ended up in these faraway, no way places. There's no way we could have known what we were going into. But obviously we, you know, we were a little bamboozled and lied to. And 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 the parents, the desire was always to do better for your kids. Yeah. Right? Always. You want to go where they can get access to the books or access to the medicine or access to the whatever, right? And that hasn't changed. That's still the principle that parents are making their moves on. Well, sister, thank you for joining me to talk about Zong and your life as an artist and sharing your work with us. And we're looking forward to the album that's coming up. Can I hear Cute Face, which is one of my favorite yes. songs? Now I must tell you, <laughs> I'm going to sing it how I always sing it with the babies on the floor, but I want to put it on the album and I know it will some like something completely different because that's what this producer is doing for me. But for now, we're going to pretend that we have mirrors and we're looking at ourselves and I want you to smile at yourself in the mirror and say, oh, I've got a cute face. You might as well face it. You've got a cute face. Just face it, child, it's no disgrace. You might as well face it. You got a cute face. It's your only face. So you might as well face it. We'll start with these eyes that wink and blink and help you see everything. And with that nose, you breathe and smell. And with our mouths, well, that's how I sing. Can you la 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 with me? La 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 la. Oh, but a mouth is complicated. I'll try to explain. It's when you open real wide. Your luvula moves with no strain. We've got teeth living on our gums and a tongue that goes in and out. And if you're angry or a little sad, you can scream, stop. Sometimes you have to shout. But we can't leave the lips, the mouth, without speaking of smiles. A coy, shy, pouty type, or one that's really wide. Did I mention that if your stomach is upset, it's through your mouth you barf? <laughs> well, we can't leave the mouth without giving a big belly laugh. 
But the face has got many more parts. We've got two ears that do two things. You can both listen and hear. And we have foreheads and shinny chins. And every day I marvel that on both I grow here. I have laugh lines and wrinkles and dimples and more. And when you look in that mirror, your own face is changing shapes and colors galore. We're all unique, we're different. Each day brings a new special glow. And spend some time in that mirror because no matter how different and how much it changes, that's one face you know. Da, 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 da. So you might as well face it. You've got a cute face. Just face it. Child is no disgrace. Da, 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 da. You might as well face it. You've got a cute face. It's your only face. So just face it. Yeah, your only face. So just face it. Da 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 da. Ooh, you got the cutest face. Thank you so much, sister. I feel cute every time I sing that song, even <laughs> if I don't have a mirror. I'm reminded. Yeah. Thank you, Lois, for joining me today. Oh, you're very welcome. I had a lot of fun, Donna G. Thank you so much for tuning in to The More The Merrier. This is Donna G signing off, but before I do, Sister is working on the launch of her website. In the meantime, you can find some of her videos on Sister Omni Love Diva on YouTube. That's S-I-S-T-A-H-O-M-N-I-L-O-V-E-D-I-V-A. For Norbezi Philip, uh, you can find out more about Zong at her website, norbezi.com, N-O-U-R-B-E-S-E dot com. As for Jody Drake, the spelling is J-O-D-I-E-D-R-A-K-E. There's a wealth of information on the Toronto Musicians Association um, Local 149 website, tma149.ca and scroll through the in memoriam link until you get to Jody's face and uh, click on the video Jody Drake blues in my bread as for me you can find me on my socials at tmtm with Donna G on Instagram Facebook and Twitter or simply go to www.ciut.fm click on the more the merrier and my details are there Leaving you now with a track by Simon Gile Nene, and this is entitled Eniwawokile. I'm sorry, that's the best I can do um, with the pronunciation of that. Um, it is spelled N-G-I-H-A-W-U-K-E-L-E. It's from her CD called Sangoma. Simon Gile Nene. Bye-bye. Guide me, friend. Guide me. Guide me ancestors. Guide me God. Guide me universe. Guide me. Guide me universe. Guide me. Guide me. Guide me angel. Guide me. Guide me ancestors. Guide me God. Guide me. Guide me. Guide me universe. Guide me. Guide me ancestors. Guide me. Guide me. Guide me God. Guide me. Guide me universe. Guide me. Guide me. Guide Oh, uh-huh.
guide me, angel, guide me, sisters, guide me. Guide me, universe, guide me. Guide me, universe, guide me. Guide me. Guide me.